Right, hello and welcome to the Villa on Tour podcast. My name is Max Stokes. I'm joined by Simon Lyons. Simon, how are you today, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Not too bad. Welcome to 2023. Happy New Year to everybody listening, if it's not too late to say that. Simon, small talk. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? I guess you didn't didn't do anything special on New Year's Eve because we had to be on a 7am coach down to Tottenham. But how, how was your Christmas? How was your New Year? Yeah, it was good. It was, um, it was nice and quiet for a change, really. It was... Uh, I had a good couple of weeks off, which you don't usually get. So, yeah, I had a nice time with just family, really. It was a bit of a quiet one. And as you say, quiet New Year's Eve, because we obviously headed to Spurs really early New Year's Day. So, no, it was really good. We were very sensible, weren't we, on New Year's Eve? I think a few of the lads on the coach uh, weren't quite as sensible. I think they were still drunk from the night before, to be totally honest with you. But now, fair play to them. We normally do like a... I don't know if people who have followed me on Twitter like remember this, but we normally do like a Christmas dinner ranking on Twitter and out of like the VOT group chat, we'll get everybody's pictures of their Christmas dinner. And I remember last year, we did a worst present award. Do you remember what... Because you won that. Do you remember what you won it with, what your worst present was? I, I don't, you know. I don't even remember what it was. What was oh, it? Mate. Do you remember? <laughs> I do remember yeah how can i forget it was, was a it? knife sharpener who gave you that oh uh, yeah and i didn't think it was like an auntie or something of mine but <laughs> i'm still i'm still a bit confused as to what i even had to do it didn't look like a anything you'd sharpen a knife with so i ain't gonna clean i'm annoyed we didn't do that this year i kind of forgot i think the christmas dinner like fair enough i mean i remember last year our christmas dinners got absolutely roasted on twitter like i mean you see some shocking christmas dinners don't you on twitter but yeah ours ours were poor but we need to do that worst present award that was funny that was to be fair i don't think i had a bad present this year though so did you know what? You oh. know, i don't think i could have no not really i don't think i could have entered it so because i didn't really have a bad present this year like they were all fairly normal or fairly okay to be fair so fair play to ever book my presence it was all good <laughs> that's boring we need some shockers but anyways we talk about some serious <laughs> stuff um yeah. yeah this is the second podcast welcome along everyone uh please do leave some reviews whatever you're listening to apple spotify leave some reviews on this podcast five star reviews if you do go on to enjoy them tell your mates about the pod share it around let us know if you want us to get any guests on i am looking forward to that it's not always just going to be me and simon we'll get a couple of other uh the vot lads on and maybe some other guests as well so let us know if you've got any people in mind but coming up we'll talk a little bit about the Spurs game obviously it's a little bit out of date I would have liked to have done um, a sole podcast on that but I was busy after the Spurs game so I didn't have too much time to do a podcast so we'll talk about uh, the Wolves game um, basically in this podcast a little bit about Spurs where Villa are at the moment and then looking ahead to the FA Cup game at the weekend. Second half, everybody gets his tactics absolutely spot on. What a, what a second half performance. So deserved as well. Come on, really, really boys. good. A couple of absolutely quality goals, mate. Emery, he's the guy. So, on to Tottenham. My favourite away day in a long time, mate. I talked about it in the video at the end. I remember speaking to you about it in the ground. We were walking out of the Spurs stadium and we were saying to each other, favourite away day for a very, very long time. How good was it? Yeah, it was. It was It was such a good day. And I think I think it was because it was such an accomplished performance by Villa, though. I mean, you know, we've had some good ones, you know, in the past, you know, not, not, that, not that far ago. Like when we went to Man United under Dean Smith and we won 1-0 and that was great because we scored late on. and. Um, and they missed the penalty, but you know it always felt it always normally with Villa it feels like you're hanging on, doesn't it? But I think on New Year's Day against Spurs, I don't think I ever felt that we were going to concede or we were ever going to be in any sort of danger. I mean, first half wasn't it wasn't brilliant, but I think we went there with a 
with a game plan to sort of frustrate them and sort of sit deep. Um, and then we sort of we came out in the second half totally different, didn't we? And we 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 brought we took the game to Tottenham, and in the end, I don't think they could could handle us both ends. And they, you know, they they couldn't get through our defence and and um, and, and attacking wise, we looked like we were going to score every time we came forward from there. So it was a top notch performance. And so in terms of away days, yeah, it's right up there. I mean, you can't beat it, can you? Christmas period, New Year's Day, and you go to one of the and you go to one of the big. Big five or big six in the league and and, and win two 0 comfortably. It was a it was a really really good day all round. Really, I was thinking about this when I was making the, the notes here. Like it's only the second time that I've seen us win away at a big six side. Like being in the stadium at the time. Like you touched on the first one that I ever saw was beating Man United away one nil uh, under Dean Smith in twenty twenty one. So and he, obviously that was nervous towards the end. We all know what happened with the penalty at Man United. But like you said, for it to be so accomplished and so comfortable, the amount of times we've gone to stadiums and watched. Villa and we are absolutely hanging on like I remember talking of New Year's Day games remember Burnley away in 2020 when Wesley uh, broke his knee or his leg we were even hanging on then and we were buzzing but to go to such a class stadium and Tottenham they're struggling recently we all know about them they're conceding first stat but it was absolutely fantastic. Like you touched on, though, it was a slow first half, wasn't it? Um, we had limited attacking intent, really, but it was a much, much better second half. That My pick of the, the game was that kamara Louise midfield combo. Absolutely unbelievable. And how many how many years have we been struggling with our midfield? Because so constantly in the past, we've been talking about midfield is our problem. Like, do we get how do we get the combinations right? Do we have the right balance? But we struck gold there for me. I know it's very, very early, Kamara's first season still, but Louise is growing and growing because I haven't always been his biggest fan necessarily, but when he's got someone like Kamara next to him, given that little bit more freedom because Louise has always had to have that responsibility of playing the six, hasn't he? But now he's got Kamara next to him who isn't flashy. He just does all the dirty work, but he's quite composed and comfortable while he does it. Kamara and Louise together there, mate. Unbelievable together. Yeah, I think they just complement each other and I thought... What was interesting against Spurs was what we were up against Bissouma, who who Villa were supposedly after for so long, and we were quoted what forty, fifty million for him, and he looks the shadow of a player. He wasn't Brighton at the moment for Spurs. He doesn't he doesn't look on it at all. But yeah, in terms of Louise and Kamara, I mean, yeah, they they just they just complement each other. Kamara is just a Rolls Royce, eight out of ten every single week sort of player, isn't he? He doesn't he doesn't usually drop that standard. I think that's what Louise needs to needs to do to step up his game and I think as you say like for the first time in a very long time Villa can be fairly pleased with their midfield options I think if you, especially when you think about you, you've, you've still got the likes of Den Donker on the bench as well um, and so I think Villa's defence midfield I mean that number six to box to box sort of role yeah, I think I think Emery will be really happy with that. They're both so young as well, aren't they? So so young. So there's so much potential. Obviously, they might not both be at Villa for their whole careers. Kamara, especially getting him on a free, I still can't believe it. That that's got to be. It probably won't get talked about because we're not a top six team. But that's got to be one of the best deals of the of the summer already. Absolutely fantastic. And I think it's it's good for the other players around them as well to have that sort of solidity in the midfield. Like McGinn, I thought he was so so much better against Tottenham, and he's had a lot of criticism and. He even from me, and, and rightly so, because he has been disappointing. But we, we're both big fans of John McGinn, and I think he's not been played in the right position. And you, you've got to play to his strengths. I think you've got to find a combination in this team to find players' strengths, and that's not what Gerard did and, and under the previous regime. We didn't play players in the right position. We didn't play to anybody's strengths. But if you can find a combination and a system to, to get the best out of these players, because McGinn is a good player, we've seen it, and that pass for me for the second goal, 
it's 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 unbelievable, and that's where you want to see John McGinn. Yeah, well, as I said to you some some months ago, while Gerard was still in charge, if you're playing players out of position, like majorly out of position, where they're not comfortable, then you're not going to see the best out of them. And I think for me is that John McGinn's confidence was probably absolutely smashed and shattered because of how of how long he was playing in that sort of defence midfield role for under Smith and then and then Gerard following him up. And I mean, the thing with McGinn, to be fair to him, he's not a ball playing midfielder so a number six role was never gonna ever gonna suit him you see him for Scotland and I know people will talk about oh the opposition's not great that he faces but every time he's in an advanced position for Scotland he either gets an assist or he scores a goal um, and I just think that I think to be honest with you since Emery's come in I don't think he's just a Spurs game I think since Emery's come in I think I think McGinn's been a lot better if I'm being honest and the Spurs game was the best game he's had but I think McGinn's been a lot, lot better. And yeah, he's in, you could say he's in a bit of an unnatural role now. He's on that sort of right-hand side of the midfield, but he's in an advanced position. Um, and so he's going to be more comfortable. The, 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 the onus isn't really on him to get the ball moving in the middle of the park um, as much as it was under Gerrard and the latter times under Smith. I just think about when we got promoted with McGinn and then we were in the Premier League in that first season back. And for those first few months of, I've been back in the Premier League. How good he was in that attacking sort of advanced role in midfield when he scored at Spurs on the open day. And he scored against Burnley at home um, in, in that, in that was it a 2 2 draw, I think it was. And he had a goal ruled out as well. Um, I just think he's an attacking, he's obviously an attacking midfielder. And so it's all it's all well and good as criticising his performances. But if you're not going to play him in his rightful position, then I don't I don't really know what people are expecting. Yeah, on the team sheets, it, it looks like he's playing right mid. And yeah, he does find himself there quite a bit. But it's so fluid, isn't it, under Emery? You'll pop up on the left, you'll mm. pop up on the right, you'll pop up in the middle. It'll pop up where he did for that second goal against Tottenham. So it doesn't really matter where he starts, to be honest, because he's buzzing around. And like you said, he is an attacking midfield. So wherever he is going forward, it's better than him being there rather than sitting deep in a number six role where he's not really being able to influence the game or he's struggling to defensively it's just it's just not right so that goes for all players as well it's really really good to see and I want to give a shout out to Ollie Watkins we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Watkins and Ings argument a little bit later when we talk about the Wolves game but I thought it was good against Tottenham and people will see with strikers that they haven't scored and think oh I must have had a poor game or missed chances and he dragged one in the first half but the evidence is there for the first goal he's the only one who's alive he picks it up he anticipates that Lloris is going to spill it and he, he creates that goal it's a clever finish from Buendia but Watkins creates that goal doesn't he so I want to give a big shout out to Ollie Watkins because he has he's been criticized as well recently but he gives something in that team that that not many others do to be fair so fair play to him I just think with Watkins it's that if you could sort his finishing out he would be an incredible sort of striker he would be a 15-20 goal a season man straight away if you could sort his finishing out he looks he just and he always has done. He always looks to me like he's a typical. He used to be a winger, and someone's converted converted him into a striker because his finishing is not that great. And that's exactly what he was. He only had one season up front for Brentford before he came to Villa. He was always he was always a winger before that. Um, and so I think he's vital to Villa. I really do, and I think I still think for the future he's probably still vital. I don't think Emery will be looking to get rid of him anytime soon. I think if we look to bring another striker in, I think. He'll try and he'll try and look for Watkins to either compete, or it wouldn't surprise me again if because of how fluid the system is, whether Watkins becomes that second striker in that team, you know, playing that sort of role that Bailey's playing at the moment, a little bit, a little bit deeper, but he drifts out into the wings, and really that that's where Watkins' strengths are really stretching teams down the wings with his pace. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't I don't see him being moved on. I, I really don't. I think Emery quite likes him. I don't think the change in managers have helped Watkins, if I'm being honest, over the last year or so. 
Uh, but hopefully he can get back into his groove under Emery. I think there's some positive signs there already, definitely. We've already seen it, haven't we, with with trying to play uh, Watkins and Ings together. And in that Brentford 4-0 game where we started unbelievably well, uh, he started with Ings and Watkins did play sort of out wide, didn't he? Buendia started that game as well. Bailey started that game. So you get your best players on the pitch and results will happen. And I think there is whether it will take a bit of time to find, but there definitely is something in that. Whether I don't think... You know, in the long term going forward, Ollie Watkins is going to be your main man, your main number nine. But whether it's someone else who comes in, he's going to play off that strike. And I think that's where we can we can get the best out of him running down the channels and creating for somebody else. But on the other hand, we know that he can do it. We know that he can score goals. First season, uh, in for his first season under Dean Smith, he scored, what, 14, 15? And even in that season, he, he did miss a fair few chances, hit the post a lot, got a, a fair few goals ruled out for offside and VAR and whatever. But we know that he can do it, Ollie Watkins. I just think it's a little bit of a confidence thing. You can see it every time he scores, though. It means so much to him for that for that confidence side of things. So 100%, we've got to get behind him. And I think he's, he's probably one of our most important players because of that work, right? So, that was Tottenham. Unbelievable start to 2023, but we'll move on to Wolves then, uh, a couple of days ago. Pre-match concerns, injury, a little bit of a worry for me going into that game was the midfield. McGinn obviously doesn't look great um, with a hamstring injury. Louise, I think, had a dead leg. It was lucky that he played, to be fair, because I think we would have missed him massively if he didn't. Dendonka uh, was on the bench. He was nowhere to be seen against Tottenham. So, the team was a little bit different. Obviously, main news was, was Emi Martinez coming in, which was absolutely brilliant. What did you make of the whole cash thing? Cash taking up the the McGinn role, sort of on the team sheet, starting in that right mid position. It was it was an experiment that I wasn't too angry to see. I, I kind of liked it. I think he could thrive there. We saw it towards the end of the Tottenham game, him coming on and playing a little bit more advanced than Ashley Young on that right hand side. But how do you think he played against Wolves? Don't think it really worked, though, to be honest. Um, and, I, and I think it's because if you you know you bring him on towards. The end of a game against Spurs away or Brighton away when we're you know when we're holding on to a lead and I think it's a little bit different, isn't it? Rather than are you at home and you're the onus is on you to sort of take the game to the opposition. And I know Cash has been a midfielder in a, a right midfielder in in his you know previous career at Forest and stuff. Um, but it's been a little while since then, and I think it didn't really work, did it? I don't think he, I don't think he, I don't think he pressed um, as well as a John McGinn or a Ramsey would do. Um, and I don't think he's got the attacking quality that McGinn and Ramsey has got, has got, if I'm being honest. And so I can see why he did it, but I don't I don't think the experiment worked, if I'm being honest. Um, I wouldn't be surprised not to see that one again from the start anyway. I think I think you might see it later on in games, especially away from home. Uh, but yeah, I don't think the experiment worked all that well, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you'll see it starting anytime soon. Like you said, though, towards the end of the Tottenham game, he can he can do what he wants. He can bring Chambers on in the midfield. He can bring Cash on, play six at the back, bring on Bednarek. Like towards the end of the game, you've got to work out how the game's going in that game management side of things. But from the start, I, I don't think it's one of them. Um, it was the second game for Julian Lopetegui. He's got a similar profile to Emery. It's quite it's quite strange that you know he was at Sevilla most recently, won the Europa League there. He was at Real Madrid for only a couple of months he was manager of Spain um, so they were, they were quite similar it's the first time that uh, a pair of managers have played each other both in La Liga and the Premier League um, in the same season so that's an interesting one they're both very animated I don't know if, I don't know if you noticed it on the sideline I thought 
Brooklyn, you know, like sometimes during the game, Lopetegui was down by the corner flag, throwing his arms around. So it's quite nice to see, refreshing, isn't it? But I think with Wolves, they've got one main issue, and that's just they're missing a number nine, aren't they? I mean, you wouldn't have been able to guess the start of the game because they're all over us, weren't they? Yeah, they were, and I think um, I'll give credit. You have to sometimes you have to sit back and give credit to the opposition, don't you? And I think. Uh, Maybe after the Spurs game, I think we maybe were a little bit guilty of going into the game and thinking we were going to sort of roll Wolves over. But um, they've improved since he's gone there. I mean, it wasn't hard. Wolves were playing particularly poor before that, weren't they? So um, it wasn't you know it wasn't hard to improve them. But I think he's gone in there, and um, you can tell he's, he's he's a tactician, isn't he? He's quite he's very similar to Emery, really. I think, and um, you, I think you give credit. I said to I said to my brothers last night. I said. Um, I think that was the first half of football that I've seen Emery probably was sort of out fought in the tactical battle, if I'm being honest. And I thought Lapategui sort of got it spot on in the first half. I mean, Wolves played with quite a, a high press and I think we struggled to, to deal with that. And then up the other end of the field, we, we kind of made it easy for them in that our, our high pressing game just wasn't there. I mean, Watkins and Bailey were standing off, standing off so long and, and, em, and Emery was really animated on the touchline. He wasn't happy about that. And, um, I mean, the, the, the way they were able to just pass, you know, three passes right the way through the midfield, through to the forwards. And it was it was too easy for Wolves at times in the first half. Um, but but as you said, though, they've always got a problem with scoring goals, though. And while their, while their goal was was a good goal, it was pedant. And it always, it always scores against Villa anyway. So we knew that was going to happen. Um, it's that absence of a, a real number nine who's going to score. And to be fair, I thought Diego Costa had some good touches in that first half. I thought he looked... He looks all right, actually, to be fair to him. But I don't think he's got that yard of pace he used to have. And I don't think he's going to... He's not going to score loads of goals for Wolves. He hasn't... You know, I, I, I can't I can't see him scoring loads of goals for Wolves. And then they've got that problem with Jimenez as well, where it sounds like they're willing to listen to offers for him, which surprises me a little bit. Um, and then it, it just depends what they're going to do with, with their new signing, Cunha, really. I mean, I know they brought him on up front, but again, if you look at his stats, he's more of an attacking midfielder rather than a striker. And so... It's all. It's all. If you're one, if you're only one nil down against Wolves, you always know you've got a chance to get back in the game because, um, because because like I say, they don't they don't score loads of goals. Wolves had countless corners, a lot of pressure. We just couldn't couldn't trap the ball, could we? We couldn't keep it for more than three or four passes, and it's the most frustrating thing as a fan to sit there and the players weren't moving, and we just literally could not keep the ball to save our lives. And I think we were quite lucky to go go in at one nil. I can't remember who had the shot, but Martinez races out and makes a fantastic save to smother the ball. Um, thought Costa was offside so many times. I don't know whether it was my view from the upper hole, obviously on the wrong angle to sort of see that, but I thought it was offside more than more than anything. And yeah, linesman was a little bit, bit strange. I think that's mine and your pet hate, isn't it? When the linesman can't make a decision, like countless times the ball goes out and then they just stand there without putting their flag up. It's yeah. honestly the most frustrating thing in the world. Like if anyone in K4 last night heard someone shout at the linesman, it was probably me. But what did you make of the halftime booze? I thought that was an interesting one. I, I, I don't get the point in it like yes when there's a point fair enough when under Gerard and he's been there for a while and we can see nothing's changing fair enough but this is what one of Emery's first games it's not always going to go right and you know we, we went in at one no it doesn't achieve anything the players will know that they haven't played well they don't need booze to tell them under Emery you know that something will change so I, I wasn't a fan of that at all I just think for me if you're gonna if, if I if I have if I'm gonna boo it's gonna have to be for something pretty pretty terrible it's gonna, it's gonna be We've been absolutely like dreadful. We've fallen, yeah, like Fulham. We're three 0 down, and we haven't even tried or something like that. You wouldn't get it. You, you just don't get it from me. So as you just said, I don't think it helps matters. And sometimes I think that 
I sometimes think we've as a fan base, I'm not just saying Villa, I think in general clubs some sometimes fans get like a bit of a sense of entitlement. I think you talk to Villa fans and we still talk about how big a club we are and how we should be winning trophies and how we should be in Europe every year. And I think it's a bit like sometimes I think I do sometimes think we live in the past a little bit sometimes. I think that we need to actually realise where we are as a club and we are battling the likes of Brighton and teams like that in the middle of the table, Fulham at the moment and I think we need to realise where we are and we're in the table for a reason. It's because we're inconsistent. We haven't got all of all of all of the quality that, that we need to have to be further on up, which obviously we're striving to do. But we haven't got a divine right to win every game or play teams off the park every single week. Um and I think, you know, you you take Emery's first few games while he's been here and we've we've we 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 have done terrifically if you think about the points that we've got. And so I just I do think it's a bit outrageous for for, for Villa Park to be booing at half time. We're only one 0 down. I mean, it wasn't great first half. But I don't think you called for all them boos, if I'm being totally honest. It's all about perspective, isn't it? That's all it's about. The look at the teams we've played. Um, Brighton, Man United, Liverpool, Tottenham and, and Wolves, who have got a new manager, a decent new manager as well. So I, th- I think it's all about perspective and booing doesn't help anyone. Like I said, the players will know that they've had a pretty stinking first half. Um, and like I said as well, Emery will sort them out. We saw it against Tottenham. It wasn't the best first half in the world, but you've got to have that patience that he knows how to change it. I think we came out second half so much better as well. We were immediately creating a few things. I don't think we were electric or anything like that, but we, we were better, weren't I mean, I think the atmosphere picks up a little bit and it's nice to see the atmosphere at Villa Park because it does get critiqued quite a lot and just and rightly so because I don't think it's it's ever been great really unless, you know, you had the odd game, but it's like consistency, like ne- never really great. So it's nice to see the atmosphere at Villa Park really pick up when we're still losing because it can always be good after we've scored. But when we're losing 1-0, I think it did help the players a little bit. I think that second half was much better, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm going to give credit to the fans for that because I think the fans, apart from that, apart from the half-time booing, um, I think that the fans stuck with the team, if I'm being honest. And I think second half, they sort of you know, drove the team on to have that little bit more pressure down, down towards that whole turn goal because there was a time in the second half when Wolves sort of regained a little bit of possession again. You thought, oh, have we sort of, have we sort of missed our chance again? Um, because I think, I think rather than us playing absolutely terribly, I mean, we weren't great first half, but I, f- I still feel like it was more to do with, I think Wolves stopped us, if I'm being honest. I think you mentioned that the passing was a bit off, you know, we couldn't string three or four passes together, but I think Wolves stopped us from doing that because of how, how good Wolves were in the first half. They were so high-pressing and they were so quick to every ball, and, but you knew that wasn't going to be able to, con- to continue for the 90 minutes. And, um, and so second half, yeah, obviously we made the change at half-time, Coutinho came on and I think that added a little bit of energy to the game, if I'm being honest. I thought he did okay. And then the, 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 I think the triple sub later, I think obviously Ings had the impact because he got the goal, but... I have to give credit to Augustinson and also give credit to Dendonka as well because I think Dendonka came on and I was a bit surprised. I thought he might put Sanson on because he's a little bit more uh, in that attacking Ooh, mode. But... Don't mention his name. Don't mention his <laughs> name. <laughs> yeah, I know. The player that becomes incredible because he's been because he's been cast aside for a little bit, yeah. But no, I, but I thought no, I thought Dendonka sort of, you know, moved into that sort of advanced role and he and he took the game a little bit to them and then Augustinson, I mean, Augustinson was really lucky that he didn't score. I mean, yeah. he's, he's volley. He caught that absolutely brilliantly. Um, and it was just a brilliant goal line clearance that stopped him from scoring. So, and I feel for at that point, I think everyone was a bit surprised to see Augustinson coming on. But I think DVA, he was looking a bit tired. He was looking a bit slow. And um, and I think, to be fair, I think Augustinson brought that little bit of energy. And you know me, I'm not Augustinson's biggest fan. I don't think he's a great player, if I'm being honest. But I, I, I think at that moment, I think we, we probably needed his energy. And um, 
And yes, yeah, so again, I give credit to Emery, but you know, though, as you just said, you know, going into half time with a w- w- Wolves are one in the lead, you still know that you've got a manager able to change things and tweak things to get you back in the game. You've got that confidence. And going back a few months ago, under Gerard, you were one nil down at half time. You thought we aren't getting back into this, mm-hmm. um, and so it's nice to have that. And uh, and yeah, it was a fair look. It was a fair result. We, we, I don't think we did enough to win the game, but it was a it was but it was a fair result for me. I think the possession we had second half and the chances we had second half at least allowed us to get a point definitely. And I think uh, I think we were probably happy with the two teams. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I'd back that. And Augustinson was good when he came on, wasn't he? And I thought Dean was really poor, really, really poor. And I don't—I think he's gone under the radar a bit because of his stature. And he, he came in for big money uh, in January last year. But I thought he was really poor. And it looks like he was sort of playing in slow motion at the time. And he, he sort of looks like he's lacking that confidence, which is a little bit of a shame. And I like that Emery has the, the bottle and the balls to actually take him off and put on Augustinson, which, like you said, he's not, he's not the best player in the world. But he was actually really unlucky, wasn't he, not to score. But... But that handball shout that literally comes a couple of seconds before. What do you make of that? Have you seen that back? Because for me, it's a handball. They, they said on the on the um, highlights that it, it wasn't going to be a handball because it bounces off his foot first. But that's not that's not Villa's fault that he's controlled the ball poorly and it's popped up off his hand. If you look at other examples, I remember. Uh, Lopetegui's first game at Wolves um, against Man United at the weekend where Rashford got a goal disallowed because it bounced off his knee onto his hand and then he popped it in the goal and that's that's disallowed. So I don't understand why it should be a different rule at one end of the pitch compared to the other end. A handball should be a handball. It shouldn't depend where you are on the pitch. Think back to Palace away. Do you remember that Luca Dean handball that got given and that he wasn't even looking at the ball and he was about a metre away? I just don't understand how where you are on the pitch, it can be a different rule. That I really can't get my head around that. And they seem to change it every year as well. But I think this is where the officials struggle, though. I think this is where they struggle to actually know what the rules are. I mean, I mean, going by the rule book, he got the decision right last night. The, the rule book is, is that if it, if it deflects off a different part of your body onto your hand, it's not handball. That's so mental, by the, That's by, mental. I know, it is, it is I, I agree. I, I, looking at it, I, I, I thought it was a, a handball straight away. It's annoying, that is. Should we talk about the goal? I thought it was a brilliant goal. That ball, I thought Mings was actually fantastic against Wolves. Really, really well. I thought we looked a little bit fragile defensively on the whole. But Mings, I thought he was brilliant. And where me and you sit, obviously you sit at the opposite end of the ground, but we had a great view of that that Tyra Mings pass. And I didn't even see it. I remember literally thinking at the time, Owen next to me said, we're not scoring tonight. And then a couple of seconds later, Mings, who does get a little bit of slack for, for blasting aimless balls down the pitch. But I thought against Wolves, he did it really well. And that assist is so good because I didn't see that pass. It's a really, really good run from Danny Ings as well. I think Jose Sarr actually slips and it's a really good finish from Danny Ings. And that's what he offers you. But the assist, the goal, it was a really, really nice one, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I don't mean this. I think he was absolutely excellent. Um, and I think he has been, I think he has been since Emory's come in, to be honest. He has been all season, even with Gerard. He's been excellent, to be honest, Mings has. Um, I thought he was our best player last night, by head and shoulders, I thought he was our best player. Um, and you're right, he's got that in his locker. I mean, I'm going back to like last season, the way at Brighton, when he played that ball over the top to Ollie Watkins, and Ollie Watkins scored in that, was it a 2-0 two, two win, wasn't it, last season? Um, was it 2-1? I can't remember. We, we won anyway. Um, and it, yeah, it, it reminded me of that. And yeah, again, it was a great, it was a one-time ball sort of move there. It was a one-time ball sort of, did, weren't playing so deep. And I think Mins saw that and he exploited that. Um, and it, yeah, it was it was a great ball, like, and it wasn't just an aimless hoop. You could tell he was that's exactly what he was aiming for. Um, and then he found Danny Ings, and that that is what Danny Ings brings you. You know, he's not going to be that, you know, running the channels like an Ali Watkins, but 
He's a very good finisher, and I think his record shows that. What is he now on seven this season? Is it or six, six or seven this season? You know, he's, he's, he, you know, if you get Danny's in that position, more likely than not, he's going to score. And I know the keeper slipped, but I, I still think he would have scored that anyway. To be honest with you, I think from that position, I'd have been surprised if he's missed. And yeah, it was a great finish, and um, and I thought we deserved it at that point. And I thought we might want to win the game, but. Obviously, there wasn't that long to go. Wolves were then going to be quite content with, with with the point, I think, even though they did have another one or two chances after that. Wolves did themselves, but yeah, it was a, it was a nice finish by Ings and a, a great assist by Mins as well. So um, yeah, happy days. The stats are five goals in his last seven league appearances and just three starts. I mean, that absolutely speaks for itself, doesn't it? I mean, there's been links clickbait links this week about him being linked to Everton why on earth would he go there and why on earth would we sell him I think there's absolutely no way he's going anywhere unless we get a big money signing in to replace him and I don't know why you do that if those are the stats to back up his performances I think give him the ball give him the we've said it for years ever, ever since we've signed him give him the ball give him service and he'll put it in the goal that's what he does he doesn't like you said doesn't run the channels like an Ollie Watkins or doesn't do the hard yards or isn't maybe the quickest player in the world but he's always in the right area and one-on-ones you back him and I think that's why you've got to find a way to get Ollie Watkins and, and Danny Ings in the same team because I think they both offer different things. How do you do it? I don't know. I think that's why you've got to give time and you've got to be patient um, because maybe it's something we see at the weekend against Stevenage because it's going to be a slightly easier game and you're going to have more of the ball, you're going to create more chances. So maybe it is an option at the weekend. And like I said earlier, they did start together in that Brentford 4-0 game. So do you play Watkins out wide? Do you bring in another winger? What happens to Bailey, Buendia, Coutinho? There's so many options. And to be honest, it's an embarrassment of riches, especially when we're linked, in, linked with wingers and strikers. I think we do have a very good squad. And I've always said it, even when we were getting battered under Gerrard, we've got a very, very very good squad and I think having Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins at the forefront of that going forward speaks for itself yeah I mean I mean, there's no way we're going to get rid of Ings in this transfer window I mean realistically, he, realistically he'll want a striker I think at some point but whether he'll get that in January I, I highly doubt it I mean everyone's looking for a striker aren't they everyone's looking for that you know 15 goal a season 20 goal a season man every single team would want that um, and so I just think realistically, I don't think we're going to find that in January. I really don't. And so, I mean, Cameron Archer's moving out and loads of middles were now. So there's absolutely no way we'll get rid of Danny. So, I mean, if we did, that would be the most ridiculous decision, you know, the Villa could make. And I'm, I'm, Well, they won't. Em- Emery said last night the plan is for him to, to stick around. And uh, you're right, it's hard. It's hard. You feel, you feel like you do need to get him into the team. You do. Um, but it's what you take away. Although you've got well, they've got that great goal scoring prowess about you. Take Watkins out of the team and play Ings, you lose out on that running that Watkins brings you. Um, you, you could do with having both of them in the team together. You could. Just not convinced it works, though. I don't know why. I'm just not convinced it works. I think we've seen it so many times, but I'm just not convinced it works with Watkins and Ings. And I think if we get to the summer, don't get me wrong, I think if we get to the summer and we, uh, and we do spend big on a striker in the summer and we get. A, you know, top quality striker in. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ings move on at that point if we could get some sort of decent offer for him. Uh, but again, it would have to be a decent offer. I mean, we signed him for 25 million. We're not going to get let him go for absolutely nothing. It's got to be worth something to Villa. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of him, and I want to see him succeed at Villa. And you could tell by his reaction last night when he scored that he absolutely loved it. He's got something to prove himself by being on the bench constantly. And I, I want to see more game time. But like you said, how do you do it? And that's where I want to see a bit of experimentation potentially against Stevenage at the weekend. We shall see. But yeah, we've got to talk about it. And we the the miss at the end. Looking, I said it in my video. Looking back on it on TV, it's not. Actually, I mean, it's a bad miss. Don't get me wrong, but it's not quite as bad as what it looked like in the stadium. I think you've got to give um, credit to Kilman and Collins just in general last night. I thought they were both excellent for Wolves. Um, but Kilman was just about getting back on the line. And it's so frustrating because Leon Bailey does the hard bit. And it's an unbelievable pass by Danny Ings as well. But he goes round Saar and he just can't do it, can he? Falls over and some miss, that is. Some miss. Yeah, I, I don't know. Even at the time, I didn't think it was that bad a miss. I'm being honest with you. Okay, you probably should have done better. But... I still, you know, it was a sort of tight angle, and it was he was unbalanced anyway. And then the problem was, it was on his right foot as well. And we all know that Bailey is very one-footed; he's very left-footed, and so I wasn't entirely surprised that he missed it. But I don't know. I don't from from he from the reaction of Bailey saying like you know oh, he was crying and he apologised on Instagram, and I heard like some of the fans on uh, BBC WM's phone on the way home. And, they were absolutely going mad about him, and I was a bit like, well, "I didn't think he was that bad." And I think, if I'm being honest, I think the, I think the defender would have got it on the line, to be honest with anyway. yeah. you. Know, they, they had they had managed to get that cover in there, and I think I think they would have start, stopped it anyway. I mean, I've seen worse misses. I think some of these, I think some of the ones against Liverpool at home when he um, when he when he just miskicked it were, were worse. For being honest with you. Um, I, I don't know. I just didn't think he was that. I don't think he was that bad. So, yeah, look, he should have done better. But I don't think it was the worst I've ever seen, put it that way. Yeah, you, t- you touched on his reaction there. What did you make of that? Because I th- I've seen some people call it embarrassing. And like you said there, some people were proper having a go at him and his Instagram story um, that he put out saying that he thought he let Villa down and it's his fault. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, it was nice to see Watkins and Ings go over to him and console him. But I, I did feel really sorry for him. I really did. But yeah. Fine margins, mate. Fine margins. But should we talk about Stevenage at the weekend? It's the start of our FA Cup winning journey. Can't wait for it. Um, we got to win, haven't we? Got to win. Yeah, do you know the only thing that worries me, though? Stevenage are kind of flying high, though, aren't they? Oh, Are come off it. Come no, on. No, no, but I'm not, I'm not saying I'm worried that we're going to lose, but I feel like they'll put up a decent performance, though, you know, because they are, though. They're flying high, Stevenage, if you look at them. Uh, I don't think they'll come over and roll over at Villa Park. But obviously, we should beat them. But then it's the question about what do you do with the team? Do you go? Do you go quite strong, or do you go, you know, like not so strong? Because that was the other thing about last night. I felt like we were a little bit, we looked a little bit tired at times as well. Mm. And so with another game on Friday, it's quite a quick turnaround. So we're playing on, against Leeds on Friday night. What do you do? Do you go quite strong against Stevenage, or do you, or do you not? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the best way to go is. Now, you know what I think about the FA Cup, and you know what, you know, I'd love to win the FA Cup, and it's, and I say it every year, but this year's our year. It's about time we won the, we won the Cup. I think it started right with us not drawing a massive, massive team that, you know, playing red in Manchester in in the third round. It's it's brilliant. I, I, I can't remember the last time. I mean, we got Peterborough, and, and that was horrendous loss at Villa Park. But I genuinely feel like if we could get a favourable run. I mean, this is going to haunt me, but a favourable run, we could do something this year because I think Emery, you know he's a cup guy. He's won the Europa League countless times and I think I think we could do it. We've got a very, very strong squad and you know how other teams disrespect the cup sometimes and things like this. I think if we can get a favourable run, I fancy us. And you're right, we're not playing a sort of Alf Church or Redditch United. But, you know, Stevenage, they'll have a bit of momentum and they'll be up for this coming to Villa Park. But 
get through this, get a five for a run. I'd love to win the FA Cup. I take it you were there um, in Wembley in, in 2015. I was there with my dad and we got absolutely crucified that day. And even the semi-final against Liverpool, that was unbelievable. I wasn't lucky enough to go to that one, but I've heard people talk about it and talk about how good it was. That was a semi-final. Imagine if we win the thing. Like I, I'm the same as you, mate. I love the cup. I've never seen us win anything. I would absolutely love it. And, you know, we're setting ourselves up here for a Steve Midge 1-0, but I'd absolutely love to win the FA Cup. Yeah, I think that year you're talking about, 2015, I think... Um... I think the problem was that Villa Liverpool semi final. That was like Villa's final, really. It felt yes. like we'd had our day. It felt like we'd had our day. If I'm being honest with you, we were we were brilliant that day, but it felt like we'd had our day because then after that, in the run up to the FA Cup final, we were terrible. We lost six one away at Southampton when we were Mane scored that fastest hat trick in Premier League history. Uh, we were five one day and a half time or something, uh, and we lost to Burnley as well on the last day. Before then, we had the FA Cup final the following week, and so you knew what was going to happen. You absolutely knew what was going to happen. In the following season, we got relegated, as you know, so it didn't really set us up very well. But um, do you know what, though? I think for me, we've like cup finals as well. It's that I've never been to, to a cup final where I think that we've actually got a chance of winning. I mean, I look back at the, the three that I've attended, and it was the League Cup final against Man United in 2010, when even though we were sort of cheated out of it by Vidic not being sent off, you still had a feel, you still knew that Ferguson's Man United was going to beat Villa that day. And then skip forward to 2015 against Arsenal in the FA Cup final. You knew we were going to get hammered that day, absolutely. Because we were so poor that season anyway. We narrowly escaped to relegation. And then a few years on when Dean Smith got us to the League Cup final, that was a great day out. But we all knew we were going to get beat by Man City that day. I don't think there was any, I don't think there was anybody who thought we were going to win, realistically. At least now, even if we got to an FA Cup final and we kind of against a big club, with a manager like Emery, you'd actually think that he might be able to devise a, uh, you know, a sort of game plan, and, and we might be able to execute that game plan, which could beat one of these big teams. And so, I'd love a cup run. I'd absolutely love a cup run. And um, it's just so long ago, Nineteen fifty-seven, the last time Villa won the FA Cup. It's just that is far too long ago. Um, and yeah, and I say it every year, day a year. And the only reason why I say it's not because I believe it, it's because I really want it to happen. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm absolutely praying, praying for it. And I'm so, and I'm, I know what I said about Steve Ninja flying high, which they are. I think they'll put up a decent performance and give us a decent game on Sunday. But um, thank God we got, you know, a, a favourable tie for once and not a Man United at home or a Man United away or whatever, or, or whatever we usually have. Um, so yeah, it should be a good one. Um, and it should be a decent crowd. Obviously, free for season holders if you claim your ticket. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, if you haven't, or if you are a season ticket holder and you haven't already claimed your ticket, feel free to do that. It should. I mean, it's a horrible kickoff time. Half four on a Sunday. That's not ideal. They've moved it for international TV coverage, which I really, really don't understand. I've never, never even thought that was a thing. But is what it is. I think I'd quite like to see a a mix in terms of team. I don't. I think he did it against Man United, and he went like wholesale changes and. To be fair, we nearly got something from that game. We nearly won it. But yeah, I'd quite like to see a mix. I wouldn't mind seeing Martinez getting him a little bit fitter, maybe taking Louise out because he's got he had that dead leg from Spurs and didn't look fantastic against Wolves. Basically just assess it, like look at each player, how they play and are they fit? Do they need a little bit more match sharpness? But I'd quite like to see a mix and potentially see a few players that we haven't seen for a while. Like you said, Cam Archer might be off, but if he's not, maybe throw him in there. I do expect him to be off, but Augustinson coming in at left back. Players like that, I don't know, just a bit of a mix. Coutinho maybe, that'd be quite nice. But yeah, it's our year anyway. We've talked ourselves into, well, I've talked myself into placing a £10 bet now onto 
Villa winning the FA Cup, which should be good. Should be good, mate. I am looking forward to it. I think we'll wrap up the podcast there. Any final words, anything to mention, any shout-outs um, apart from winning the FA Cup? No, no, I don't think so. But um, I, no, I think, it's, I think it's positive at the moment. I think, you know, taking the first half out of it last night, I think we got a point out of it where we didn't play particularly well. And so that, for me, is a positive. And so, you know, first first week of the new year. And I think... We've got a good manager in charge. I think he's looking up. I think we. Could, I, I said this in the last podcast, but I think we could be in for a decent twenty twenty three. Well, it started okay, hasn't it? And I think you mentioned it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like it's a good, it's a good sign to to not play great and still not lose and get something out of the game because so many times last year we'd we play horrendously and just roll over. But to 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 not play great and still pick up a point, we didn't draw anywhere near enough games last season or even the season before. We don't draw enough games, so it's positive, mate. It's positive. It's still massively early days as well well so roll on the rest of 2023 roll on the summer roll on the fa cup win and that is that i just want to mention as well thank you so much for 50,000 subscribers on the youtube that is absolutely unbelievable thank you so much for your support whether you've been there for the last couple of weeks or you've been there for the whole five or six years that i've been doing it massively appreciate that and uh yeah thank you for your support shout out uh, to simon for coming on appreciate it mate and share this podcast around leave a review and we shall be speaking to you very shortly up the villa. Bye.